Bigfoot. Is it real or is it a hoax? For ages, he has hidden in the forest, eluded hunters, baffled scientists, and remain a mystery. My entire life I've seen shadow people. For powerful and effective constipation relief. Welcome to episode 76 of the Don't Break the Oath podcast. Right, it's just me today because Andy's poorly. Oh! Yeah, that's enough of that. So, um, just a brief little intro, just to let you know we have got Maria Wheatley on today. Uh, some of you may remember we've had her on in the past. Uh, a lot of people really enjoyed that episode. Well, she comes on today to talk about the winter solstice because... It's uh, coming up uh, December 22nd, I believe. And a little bit about burial chambers. Uh, you know, what the mainstream called burial chambers. Um, so that's really what she comes on to talk about. So it's just a little quick chat with Maria about that, really. We're just fitting this in before Christmas, obviously. Right, speaking of Christmas, we have already recorded like our Christmas show. So hopefully we should keep the schedule... Um, as close to getting them out at the weekends as possible. Might miss a weekend, depends how the holidays fall and what we're doing, but either that or we'll get two episodes out on the same day and you can either just listen to them one after the other or you can delay one for a week. Whatever suits you. So uh, anyway, enough of this rambling. Let's get on with the show and uh, remember to subscribe and review and join us on Facebook. Email us your stories. If you've seen a ghost, if you've seen a UFO, if you've seen a Bigfoot, whatever, or even something stranger, email us, dbtopodcast at gmail.com, go on the website, or find us on Facebook, and let us know your story, and we'll either have you on, or we'll tell your story to the masses. So, uh, yeah, that being said, let's get on with the show. Thank you for joining us, and uh, give you Maria Wheatley. Yeah, so what is the significance of the winter solstice uh, on the 21st? It starts on the 21st, all right? Let's go ahead. Yep. That's right. The 21st of December was a very sacred day to our ancient ancestors. We call it the winter solstice. And it's the time of the year when the sun literally stands still in the sky for three days. Okay, so if you imagine that when the sun is really low in the southeast, that's the the winter solstice dawn, then three days later, it's starting to move slightly. So on December the 21st, that's the winter solstice. The sun will remain stationary for three days and then it's midwinter's day. And midwinter's day falls on December the 24th, what we call Christmas Eve, for example. And then the sun starts to rise higher and higher and higher in the sky until it reaches its most northerly when that's the summer solstice. It's opposite. So our ancient ancestors were really looking at the placement of the sun and they realized it was the time of the year of rebirth rebirth of the sun regeneration for for example and we're come to discuss how some stone circles aligned to that but it's a magical time of the year to, to our ancient ancestors 
because they literally know that there's going to be growth ahead. The days are going to become much brighter and lighter as the sun regains its its power. And it wasn't until the 4th century uh, AD that Pope Julius I christenized the date because he said, ah, that's the time when we think Jesus Christ was born to coincide with the pagan date, to take over the pagan festival. So, that, so he presumed that was the date. Astrologers actually think it was probably September yeah, for, yeah. Uh, for, for, for Jesus, for example. But so to our ancient ancestors, yes, the winter solstice, a midwinter's day was a very powerful day. You have ley lines aligned to that date, uh, coursing through uh, Avebury and Stonehenge, for example. And numerous sites were aligned. There's stone settings at Stonehenge, Avebury. Uh, Stony Littleton, Newgrange in Ireland that we can discuss in detail in a moment, all aligned to the midwinter sunrise. Okay, so why do you think, uh, why was that date pre-opted? Why, why did they take over that? Is it just, was it simply just to control the pagans? Well, at that time, it was really about control in the in the fourth century A.D. You had some very powerful popes at that time. You had uh, Pope Gregory, for example. He edited the Bible and he edited out reincarnation, for example, because, you know, you've only got one chance. And if you don't, you know, do what we say, you're facing hellfire. But our, our ancient Judaic ancestors of the British Isles, of, of where we're based, for, for example, they, they definitely wrote, a, well, spoke about, for sure, reincarnation. It was a part of their religious and daily activities. They were very aware of that. So basically, it was edited out. And then you've got Julius uh, the first, and he decided that he would change the dates of, of, of Jesus' birth for, for control. I think you're right there, Lee. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I don't know if where that reincarnation ties into this, but um, I have a sneaking suspicion that it might be um, quite quite um, prevalent in this. I think uh, I don't know if you're aware of the, the work of Freddie Silver on these ancient uh, resurrection rituals that, that you know ancients used to do. Yeah, uh, I am. But, uh, yeah, but that goes along to a lot of these underground chambers as well. Um, you know, this is where that used to take place. <clears throat> and essentially, for those who don't know, the, the people who go down there, they practically die for a couple of days, uh, experience the universe, if that's if that's the right yeah. word, and then they come back into the body and then be uh, sort of reborn, but uh, with all that knowledge. Um, do you, I mean, do you think that's something that could have been going on at these? Well, I mean, that, that's conjecture. Nobody's really gone through that again. A lot of people have subjective experiences at these ancient sites, and I'm not saying that's right or not right. I'm saying that's a, a really uh, evocative and seductive theory about how ancient sites were used. I actually feel that they were used on more than one level. I think they were used practically, metaphysically, and they are multi-layered down through the generations. I mean, we must realize here that the, the, they, the long barrows were, that you could enter, that people like Freddie Silver talk about, were Neolithic monuments, but they were probably reused in the Bronze Age, at the early Bronze Age, for example. But that's a thousand years difference. They may have used that for completely different reasons, because that's like me looking back to the time 
time of Alfred the Great and saying I have the same belief systems as Alfred the Great. Clearly, I don't. So I think over the generations, over the course of time, ancient sites were used on many, many different levels. And I do think it's relevant uh, spiritually. I, I, I myself have had a lot of spiritual experiences at ancient sites. Uh, and I've been around people that have had very deep, subjective, profound uh, experiences about touching uh, the knowledge of the universe, you know, and underground as well. The, the uh, contacting Gaia for deep, deep underground, not necessarily all the time the universe. So I'm very open minded, but I think we shouldn't label ancient sites one way with one word i oh, know i agree with that completely yeah. i think uh well we know these sites were used uh, throughout the year you know so the chances are they were used for different things you know throughout the year um so getting back to what they actually use this solstice for uh, you know these these stone circles and all that, that uh, are pretty and, and burial chambers that we, you know what we're going to call burial chambers uh, where, that uh, that are aligned to these uh, this solstice. What what's the significance there? What what do you feel? Or you know what can be explained about to that? Well, for example, let's take one very well-known ancient site, Stonehenge. Most people would say that the outlying hillstone, when you're stood at the centre of Stonehenge, aligns to the mid-summer sunrise, and it, and it roughly does. But then if you're walking down the avenue at mid summer for example and you enter Stonehenge you have to turn around the other way to actually see the sunrise so what archaeoastronomers are seeing now such as Clive Ruggles uh, they're saying well no the all of the big uh, trilophons that's the inner stone settings at Stonehenge that have two stones and a stone on the top they are massive some up to 95 um uh, uh, tons worth there. Uh, they are very, very 25 tons. Uh, and if you add them all up, it's an amazing amount of tonnage. But they all f- uh, graduate in height to face the midwinter sunset, for example. So the axis line, that's if you imagine in space a really straight line and you've got the midsummer sunrise on one end, you follow that straight line down and you'll have the midwinter sunset on the other alignment. And Stonehenge is on that axis line. But if you walk down the avenue at midwinter, you'd actually be facing the midwinter sunset. Why? That's the million-dollar question. Why? Was it just uh, a visual experience? It is beautiful. I've been to numerous ancient sites watching the sunrise, the moonrise, uh, and the sunset, and the the moonset. But clearly there was something else going on. Now, when you, as I've pointed out uh, numerous times, when you put uh, a standing stone into earth energy, for example, you're literally like an acupuncture, putting it into an earth energy system. Okay, so we're going to imagine that all of those great uh, trilophons at Stonehenge, they're into an energy system. Now, when the sun or the moon crosses the horizon line, and what do I mean by that? I mean at sunrise or sunset, yeah, moonrise or moonset, it crosses the horizon line. It's a known geological fact that when a celestial body like that crosses the horizon line, if you imagine 
in the, there's a movement if it's near a fault line, a movement of kind of energy in the ground. Naturally, it's called the shear force uh, by geologists, and it moves and it will bathe the megaliths in some kind of electromagnetic energy. We know that happens, and we know that if it's around a fault line, then this occurs. And it was Paul McCartney, not of Beatles fame, <laughs> I must yeah. point out, but, but Paul McCartney, he wrote uh, back in the late 70s and the the early 80s about this uh, sheer force and pointed out that every single stone circle in the British Isles is always located within a mile or a mile and a half, two miles max from a fault line. So you're now plugging an energy system in, and I think that was generating energy that could uh, help us, you know, grow foods. I think it was an energy that can change our consciousness. I think it was an energy that can enhance the land itself with 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 fertility. Now, when you put a ley line going through that stone setting, for example. Uh, and it's rooted into that sheer force, then at sunrise and sunset, the whole line, which is like a carrier line of, of energy, if you will, can start to trans, trans, um, move that energy rather along that ley line so you can now distribute it uh, a little bit better and with certainly with our experiments that we've done this you know more than just theory it is it is possible at those times of the year the stones become imbued their energy can be put through to to a lay system uh, and i feel that's a part just a small part of the alignments at ancient sites is it um, is it possible then, Maria, that also these sites, as many all uh, all around the world, they could be portals from from going one place to another? You know, so it, absolutely. I think get on a much higher level. This is what I mean, uh, Andy, and you've hit, hit the nail on the head. I think that there's a lot of things going on at any one time within a, within a stone within a stone circle. Uh, a bit like how we use churches today. We don't just, you know, bury our dead there. You can have uh, weddings. You can have christenings. You know, there's a lot going on. I do feel that at some ancient sites that have the mathematical mathematical ratios to uh, portal and time travel through their their settings then yes that uh, that is more than possible and i also feel that that can also manifest so i think you you yourself could move through the time space continuum with the right mathematical ratios and i also think you can move uh, entities or beings into the time space continuum as well yeah, so mm. that, there's a, that could be like, you know, some Stonehenge, a being from another place. Well, is this a good you know, time to, to here. Um, is this a good time to bring up the, uh, <laughs> the meeting of Apollo at Stonehenge? Cause that, that, that sort of blew me away when I, yeah. when you told me that. That was about fascinating. That. Yeah, that was, that was first proposed, for example, by two archaeologists, actually, uh, the late Jeffrey Wainwright and uh, Tim Deville. Now, they were noticing that the winter solstice uh, is a significant event at Stonehenge, more significant than summer solstice. And in, in loads of myths from, from Greece, it was said that uh, Apollo, uh, the god of light, 
the sun, yeah? yeah. He's often depicted with rays above his head, Apollo, isn't he? Uh, that he would travel from Delphi, which is an oracle center in ancient Greece. I've been there. It's an absolutely amazing ancient site. It is definitely a place of oracle where you can tune into uh, to the land and to uh, Apollo himself. And he was said to travel to Stonehenge uh, from the winter solstice, and then he would leave again at the uh, spring equinox, which is the 21st of March. Now, I feel that was about manifestation, because if you look to an ancient Greek myth about Eleusis, which is a sacred site there, they would say that they would uh, be around the gods themselves. They would dance with the god. I mean, that's not saying like we worship an invisible deity. You know, they're saying that they physically manifest yeah, it. Physical yeah. being, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I think uh, was happening. And uh, Apollo is also the god of... He didn't Seville oh, and sorry, Jeffrey sorry. Wainwright felt that sorry, Stonehenge sorry. was also just, the lord. Cut, sorry, you cut out there. You, you said that Apollo is also the god of, and then it just went blank. Ah, Apollo <laughs> is also, to some regard, the god of healing. And... Oh, okay. uh, Jeffrey Wainwright and Tim Deville, they said that, you know, Stonehenge was a healing environment as well. This is what I mean about being multi-layered. Yes, yeah. it is a healing environment as well as. Mm. Again, you know, we're talking, you know, I think uh, these places was visited by many, many other beings as well. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, all ritual magic and but it's all over the world, isn't it? It's not just Stonehenge. It's all it's all over the planet, isn't it? These these sites of uh, places it's just just amazing and i think it should be put back into the media this truth should come out you know and be told again you know because people go to stonehenge oh, it's only it's just just a lump of rock and yeah you know they go there and that's but they don't think any, anything else today you know it's nothing else to them so. That's that's right, and we are, and we, you know, we we have to also be very conscious of the fact that when we do go to the long barrows and we do do experiments, which which I do myself, but I'm going to even criticise myself now because we must remember places like West uh, West Kennet Long West Barrow, Kennet, yeah. New, New Grange uh, in Ireland, and, and numerous other sites are reconstructed. So they've changed their frequencies through their reconstruction. So we can only have a very small and limited understanding. And when you hear authors saying when they go into a construct like a long barrel and saying, oh, it's definitely this frequency, it probably isn't. It's probably close to it. Yeah. But I think uh, you can't say that for sure because they have been set in concrete, re-erected. Some of them have been made higher through health and safety issues like West Kennet Long Barrow and even Stony Littleton Long Barrow, which is in Somerset, not that far from places like Glastonbury, for example. Yeah. It, ha it has a long chamber where you can crawl through it right to the end and that faces the midwinter sunrise. Now, when you're in that barrow in a, in a small, dark place, um, um, and, you know, you're preparing for something. It's like your mind naturally begins to prepare for an event, normally a change of consciousness, uh, a, a rising of consciousness. And when the sun and the light comes in, you do feel bathed in a new type of light in consciousness. So I think there's a metaphysical principle to the sun. There's a metaphysical principle to the earth. And when you have that union of the, the, the male energy, the sun, the consciousness, hitting uh, uh, an ancient site, 
on a very deep level, you can lift uh, your consciousness to a higher level. It's like being reborn because you're going from the dark back into the light. light. Yeah, so so it, it does feel like being reborn. Uh, uh, and uh, in a moment, some of the uh, underground sites, for example, that the, the UK has and, and other countries alike, and I think they are very, very important, and they take us way, way beyond the long barrow um, initiation chamber. I think they were used for things like initiation. And then the very, very end usage of their lifespan, round about the Bronze Age, then bones were placed in and they were sealed off for all time. So again, you know, different cultures use these barrows for different things. Ooh. Okay, so people... <clears throat> so basically, it's, bronze, an, it's an upgrade, isn't it? Yeah. You're trying to... So up- people in the Bronze Age came along... And because they, you know, that by that time had gone more materialistic and all the rest of it, they didn't understand what the... They just thought it was a cave, so there's bad the dead there. Put their dead in it, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> <coughs> yeah, so, I mean, uh, and the dead of the Neolithic, not their dead. Mm. So in the Bronze Age, it was like the Neolithic people that had the long skulls, which, as you guys know, I've done a lot of research on and written a book about. Mm. They were placed into the long barrows nine times out of ten. But the Bronze Age people, that's from 2500 BC to around 750 BC to give a a time frame so that we understand it, because otherwise we hear these names. We think, well, what the hell was that time era, you know? So, so during that uh, time era of the Bronze Age from 2500 uh, BC uh, onwards, then round barrows were being built. And that's when you did have your materialistic um, interns. You know, you had gold placed in, amber placed in. So, yeah, you're rightly. What, what happened then was it became more materialistic. Land ownership came into being. I own this part of the land. Yeah. Whereas before yeah. it was more communal. We own this land. Yeah, not I, not the ego. Yeah. Law of the land and maritime law. It's uh, changed, isn't it? So. Well, just... Um, exactly. May- maybe we can dispel some of the the, uh, the the common held theories on these long barrows then, because I've heard... And, you know, you just say... You can just say yes or no if you, if you like, but I've obviously heard that they were used... And this is going back before the Bronze Age then. I, I, before... So the some of the common things you run across is, like, grain storage... Yes, I mean, that was um, the um, quite correct theory of John Burke uh, in his co-authored book, uh, Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty. What he found with burial chambers around the world, from uh, America to, to the UK and across Europe, that if you did place a seed within that type of environ and then you took it away and grew it for example then the plant would grow twice as fast and be twice as healthy yeah so energizing it almost yeah and and 20 years uh, preceding uh, john burke's work with the university of utah in the united states of america for example they were already experiment with what if you place a green tomato tomato if you're from utah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, if you place that into, you know, an electromagnetic uh, environment, what happens? Well, it, it it ripened twice as fast as well. So you could utilize on a very practical level, you know, and uh, agricultural technology. Mm. So, so that, that, that it's being... like I just say with the people, but their cultures raising some upgrade with the with the grain and all that, all the other stuff. It's an upgrade. It's, it's you know, mm. it's. 
making it better. It's, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, I mean, I remember when I was, uh, you know, a few years back and I was thinking about some of these eight caves and, you know, these, these underground chambers and that. And, and, and I don't know why, but I, I and obviously with the, the, the shamanistic sort of, philosophy of the time if you like I-, I wondered if there was almost uh used to grow some psychedelic mushrooms in there um what where do you stand on something like that is that just crackers? well there, there there is a lot of uh, evidence from burials in scotland and um burial remains in the uk of the use of mandrake during the late neolithic and bronze age which uh is can be in the right circumstances be used as a hallucinogenic so i mean then maybe they were using other plants uh, besides just you know the the magic mushroom i think mandrake was definitely a part of and they even had kind of like a brew they had uh, breweries in in scotland and and around the uk where they would brew mandrake as well into a beer and that was even done in ancient egypt to intoxicate you for a journey for mm. you know a shamanic journey rather than just to get you know <laughs> pickled yeah. <laughs> I think he says in the Bible, don't it, about manna from heaven, which is mushrooms, isn't it? So, you know, they used to pick well, the mushrooms. So <coughs> I don't uh, think are, they, are they from heaven or they, do they send you to heaven? Mm. You know? so, I don't know if we're quite sure what manna was it. Manna mushrooms, isn't it? Mm. So, so, yeah, so it's... Uh, so, so obviously, you know, psychedelics then, that must have featured quite a lot in... Some of this, then, if they if they've got breweries set up to to uh, make this stuff. Yeah, I mean, definitely they were, you know, making it on quite a large uh, scale as well. Same as you know, uh, merchants all, all across uh, across the world were. But I, I do feel that where it was made, if you put anything into this electromagnetic energy, I think it becomes magical. It becomes metaphysical. It takes you from the uh, ordinary into the extraordinary. So I think you know the where is very important. And I think I can extend uh, John Burke's work uh, by my knowledge of the the geodetic system of earth energies and there's only a few handful of uh, geomancers and dowsers that are fully aware of this and uh, my family inherited the works of Guy Underwood and some of his work in his book The Pattern of the Past was right and some of it was wrong he was a pioneer so when that went to print it was after his death and and it was the wrong manuscript that went to, to print actually but when we start looking at the earth energies which interlace the planet okay now, John Burke quite rightly said, you place your seed into these chambers, it's going to help you germinate. It's going to help you, you know, in your uh, forthcoming harvest. Now, you start to plant that uh, seed onto an earth energy current, for example, especially some of them associated with uh, deep underground water and some of them associated with earth energy proper, then they will start to grow. And these aren't the kind of earth currents that flow through all of the ancient sites, uh, for example, like what's called the Maria Michael, the Ellen the Bellinis, these massive earth currents. These are smaller earth currents that interlace and flow across uh, particular landscapes of chalk downland, for example, limestone where you have big agricultural centers still now. So I think it wasn't just a case of you germinate your seed. I think it was a case of where you plant it became very, very important. And that's what we've lost. That's why we need chemicals. We have rectangular fields with one type of crop in it, 
being drip-fed Monsanto's Roundup. Our ancient ancestors were feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people when they were building Stonehenge, Silbury. The whole of Europe was entering a a massive megalithic program. So on a very practical level, you had to feed these people like Mm. you do today. So this is what I think they were doing. They were enhancing uh, the, the, the seed, but then knowing where to plant it. What do you think, um, it's chicken and egg, but which do you think came first then, the, the, the agriculture or the, 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 what do you call them, the megaliths? No, someone's got a problem there, haven't they? <laughs> well, I, I think long before the Neolithic, uh, culture, when you have the Middle Stone Age culture, which is, uh, commonly called the Mesolithic, and we're told that they're hunter-gatherers wearing shabby clothes, yeah, with, yeah. but, you know, bedraggled hair, whatever. Uh, I think they were sophisticated, uh, civilization. And when we look to the, the Mesolithic landscape around Stonehenge, for example, you had a thriving town mm-hmm. in, uh, in the Mesolithic. And I think it was these people, these people with with uh, the the long skulled uh, skulls were the first to find the esoteric centre of Stonehenge. Then it was used by the Neolithic. Then it was used by the Bronze Age. Then it was used by the the Druids. So when you go back, back, back in time, who built the 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 long chamber, the long barrows, uh, the long mounds? That was the long skulled people. Who are these people? Where are these people? I was the only person to be able to track down one of the skull to. Cambridge uh, University, but it's almost like uh, academia just doesn't want us to know our ancient ancestors. When when I've tried to communicate to um, different uh, museums across Europe, Malta being one, they go out of their way to tell me about the round skull people. But these were our ancestors, and I think because the, the shape of their skulls were a little bit different, they had a bigger brain capacity than us and did they have a, a greater psychic capacity than us uh, today yeah, yeah i believe yeah? It, definitely yeah exactly andy and i, yeah. I you're a spiritual type so you, so you know uh that yourself that you know once you start uh, practicing uh the psychic arts you yourself become more psychic don't you do you know yeah. what i mean it's like it's like a growth in, in in oneself and i think these were the first psychics these were the first magicians. These were the first spiritual people. And to think that, you know, it's, it's taken me to take a photograph to bring this uh, to the public's consciousness is absolutely shocking. Yeah. It, this, this should have been taught to us in schools. Oh, yeah. Well, again, so, it's, uh, I think... Uh, <laughs> it makes you wonder, I mean, sorry, I was just going to say, it, it, it makes you wonder if that's just the, the, you know, the tip of the iceberg almost and what else is being hidden. Um, exactly. Whether whether that you know uh, hidden's a bit of a strong word, but, but whether that's it's a rise, correct? But, yeah, but whether it's uh, intentional or or not, you know what I mean? Because we're not quite sure. You know, these things, a lot of these things, just got put away because no one could explain them at the time, and mm. uh, and then forgot about almost. Um, yeah, I do think there's a lot of that in there because you know some of the um, collections that were happening by. Uh, antiquarians for example in the 17th century the 18th century and the 19th century well they got kind of some of them got partly given to cambridge <laughs> partly given to oxford partly given to salisbury just what i mean the, the collections yeah, yeah. got broken yeah. broken up and some of the uh, curators they don't know what's in those cardboard boxes that are labeled they they really don't i think some of them do and there may be a bit of a conspiracy but i think some of them actually don't and it, it reads 
needs needs reclassifying uh, for sure. And also, you know, you try to uh, have access to to a museum. You have to go on a waiting list. You have to, you know, apply to, uh, for uh, access to to it. They want to know what papers you're writing. You know, I mean, it's, it's a long old process just to, mm. to get into uh, an, an archive. It really is, unless you study directly with uh, with Oxford University. If you study with Oxford University, you have access to their archives. You have access to the Bodleian Library. You have uh, access to artifacts. And that's what I'm doing in March. I've, I've been accepted on an Oxford University course for uh, prehistory. So I should be rooting around, guys. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait for that. <laughs> Straight into the hornet's nest, Maria. <laughs> yeah, you, Way to go. Be careful, you might get stung, so, you know, but I think you'll be okay. Yeah, I, 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 I said for many years that, you know, that the race, human race is going backwards, not forward. You know, people say, oh, we're techno- technology advanced and now. Mm. Well, well, I think we're backwards. You know, so my question would be, if this uh, information that's been lost, either on purpose or... Whatever. Well, sometimes it's just the advent of technology. Yeah. What, 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 um, you know, like we, we invent something that disregards this last piece of technology and, and, but, you know, when you get three steps removed, you can't remember how they originally did it almost. Yeah. You know what I, mean? I think it's been purposely, uh, you know. The Baghdad battery, for example. Yeah. You know? It's another one, isn't it? It's another one. But we, I, we, I, I think, uh, you know, if this, uh, information could be put back into, you know, uh, into the media itself now, would it make a difference? I mean, would people? I mean, oh, I mean, I know quite a lot of people would be very interested, but I do know a quite a lot of people say, well, whatever, mm. you know. That's a really good question, Andy. And what what I feel um, and how I could answer that is, I think. We can't have a belief system. We can't have a new age belief system. Believe me and this earth energy is going to work. Yeah, because you're going to get people saying, really, Maria, really? You know, you, you talk about this. Is it real? I think if we present uh, to the thinking, intelligent British public, this is a possibility. Let's do a large scale, scale trial. Let's have a bit of financial back into this. Let's see that if this works. Yeah. yeah. And then when, when they have the proof, because a lot of people are so left brain they need that proof and and quite rightly so if if universities are going to invest in this sort of technology they're investing their money and that's what it's down to sometimes i th- i think it's about the, the 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 new age ideas coming to maturity facing uh, the british public with their ideas and not just their belief systems and saying behind the idea it could have substance and that's what we should be going for now rather than saying blindly believe in what i say about earth energies it's just like being a christian all over again believing in god and the devil you know so i i say that you know let's take these metaphysical ideas and and try to prove that which we we say happens yeah definitely i mean uh, the, the, the place that really i don't know why but that you know when we came down to see you and i've been there places before as well the most place that really has an effect on me i don't know why is silbury hill it's just it you know, when I go near the place, you just feel, you know, it's the power, the energy. Um, I've been to some barrows. I've been to Stonehenge, which is fantastic. But Silbury Hill is the one that really fascinates me. And I've had the most, you know, you know, there's something there. And it's still there. It's still humming. It's still alive. It's still there. You know, people just look at it and say, oh, it's just a hill. It's not. It's something else. Uh, 
that that's right i mean if you take away the kind of grass layer beneath that is uh, a seven step chalk pyramid yeah. okay it's it's anchored in on a huge uh, lay system it's anchored in on a massive amount of underground uh, water which when we took some tests and i've said this before it was a thousand times greater the electrostatic field at the top of silbury hill to our controls beneath it mounds if we kind of think of a, a mound as having on the inside of the the chalk step pyramid different layers of organic and inorganic, organic, inorganic material. Well, now you've hit on the uh, organ energy, which Wilhelm Reich said he could create by using layers of organic and inorganic material to generate free energy. Okay? Yep. So, so I feel that... Uh, all gone. I mean, you, you could call it chi, you could call it what you like, you know. I mean, um, the right chose to call it all gone. Uh, it's a free type of energy. Now, here's the thing. If you go to, for, for example, other places in the world, you always, always have large mounds, okay? Yep. They're like a, a geodetic capital, yeah? They're a big power center. And in the first century AD, you had this very famous, uh, well, he became very famous astrologer called Claudius Ptolemy. Yeah. Now, Claudius Ptolemy uh, lived in Alexandria, uh, ancient Egypt, and he presumably studied at the Library of Alexandria because he was a learned gentleman. He was studying astrology, astronomy, and, and the sciences. Now, he looked at the world and he looked at, he didn't call them lays, you know, but he looked at the, the then ancient world and said, I, uh, with using two big lines, you can go right the way around the world and where they cross was a place of greatest significance. They called it the esoteric center, the center of the ancient world. And it was in Egypt. For where he was studying. Yeah. So if you if you take a, 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 a lay, I'm going to call them a lay. If you take a lay and you kind of push it all the way uh, near the equator, but not on the equator. I call it the esoteric uh, equator. And you draw a line not far from there, and it goes through Gibraltar, and it will go through places like Tibet, uh, etc. And then you you bring a line north to south. Yeah. Then those two lines cross at a very sacred mound, and that mound is in Aleppo. And I think, you know, a part of the reasons why there has been a big outrage in Aleppo and people have the interest in Aleppo is because it once was the ancient capital, the esoteric uh, capital. It had a large mound, which they incidentally call a citadel these days, which means it's a fortified area. But they said that about Silbury. That's why it's called Bury. Bury is Anglo-Saxon for fortified area. But clearly these places were uh, of significant power. And uh, so I think, you know, that's the kind of very metaphysical side of Aleppo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's straight. These places, you know, you, you can, these places you go to, you can, you can feel the energy, you can feel the, the, the vibration, you feel the hum, it's like a magnetic tingling, you know, that's what you get. Uh, I mean, other people have other experiences. I just did. Um, oh. I mean, my cousin, he went, we went before and... Uh, his watch just stopped. Every time he went to the Silver Hill, his watch just stopped. You know, so it's definitely something happening there. And, um, I think there yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say, I think there is a link between, um, you know, like you say, limestone and flowing water and that kind of stuff and, and, the, and the paranormal as well. So I don't know where that quite fits into it all, but 
Um, I mean, you've got churches and cathedrals and that. They're always on sits on ley lines, don't they? So, I mean, they built them. I mean, they just wasn't built, oh, we'll just build a church there or build a cathedral. Yeah, they was planned to be built on them place, on, on them sites, on the ley line. And, and the earth currents. The earth yeah. currents are really quite much stronger than the uh, lay itself. So if you have earth currents entwined in a lay and you have a female and a male going uh, earth current uh, entwined in the uh, lay line, that's what would decree the uh, – the, not the gender as such, but who this, this uh, saint would be dedicated to. So if it's on a female line, it's going to be Mary, Catherine, you know, Magdalene. If it's on a male current, it's going to be Michael. George, Vincent, Peter. Do you see what I mean? It yeah. would decree the uh, the kind of energy, uh, set the energy pace uh, behind it. So, uh, so you're right. They were deliberately placed on a very ancient uh, system to utilize the energies there because but unfortunately obviously uh, during the christian per, uh, period that it was more about you control you listen to me whereas before and I, I think you'll probably agree with me uh, here to some regard andy is that when you do enter these uh, environs and you get you go with somebody you could be in a small group like i take people around in small groups people get switched on collectively yeah there can be a there can be a group experience whereas as if you're in a Christian church and you're listening to one person, you're in a left brain uh, environment because you're listening all of the time. So your brain waves are going to be in beta and uh, and you're not going to have that collective experience. And I think that's what the Christian church wanted. You listen to me, mm. you listen to yeah. my sermon, etc. Yeah, it's the Wizard of Oz. It's the uh, it's the man behind the curtain. Yeah, he sits in the pulpit and he, and he stands above you, so you know you're, he looks down at you, so he's higher than you. You see. pay no attention to what's really going on over here. Just keep following this direction, and uh, and you'll get nowhere. Yeah, well, that's basically. what that's what happens. And, and, and you know the the people say you know they're the sheep. You know mm. they're, they're my flock. These sheep, and I know better. So so is, sorry. Is there a way of actually uh, bringing the power up then? Uh, did they know about how to how to bring the power up in these places, Maria? I I think they they certainly did. I think again, it's the ritualistic year, the eightfold year, when the veil between this world and the next grows thin. You can have uh, more communication with uh, with different types of beings. Elementals has well been documented through our through our holy tradition of druidism, for for example. So I feel that those particular times of the year, the frequencies, the uh, earth currents, the the lays, the grid lines. The sheer force I mentioned earlier that bathes those stones uh, in electromagnetic frequencies becomes heightened. That's when I think Apollo would have manifested. Yeah. That's when I think we can manifest things. That's when we can increase uh, our food production and our own bodies as well. You know, because when our when our own bodies are entering into these energy fields, it's an interaction. So I actually feel that you know they are healing. They can you know uh, change change your mindset, change your physical body, change your emotional body. That's affecting our aura on on many many different levels, which uh, which stone circles and uh, pyramids certainly can do yeah how close how close are we to calling this energy radiation well i think there's a a, a different type of uh, radiation i think lays uh, uh, and earth currents have uh, less of so softer frequencies if you will mm. 
But when you go to particular environs, and uh, it was Paul Devereux that did a kind of big survey, if you will, of lots of different radiation levels at sites. He looked at the uh, King's Chamber, which has granite uh, uh, in it. He looked at the Rollwright stone circles, and uh, he looked at different types of healing waters, like bath springs that the Romans uh, reused. And uh, he, he realized that they had higher gamma radiation levels or beta gamma radiation levels. And uh, I went on to do some independent tests um, with, uh, with the team. And we also found that you do have higher radiation levels, but small doses of, uh, of radiation. I mean, you wouldn't live above them 24-7. I mean, that's going to be carcinogenic, you know. But if you enter into these energy fields, it's a bit like our, 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 we have RT, radiotherapy these days which reduces tumors and uh, things but and if you have small bouts of interaction with uh, gamma radiation it can be beneficial long-term exposure is just not gonna be conducive to your health but I think our ancient ancestors knew the benefits of particular types of radiation and and they could utilize it and who's to say that they hadn't reached some kind of prehistoric cold fusion <laughs> where they could change the levels of gamma radiation we just don't know but for, for sure that they were building some sites with higher radiation levels we we found that a stark contrast at the sanctuary which is a stone circle near uh, avebury henge and when we did the radiation levels at the center and took controls outside of the stone circles, and bear in mind, the stones have long gone. They're just concrete markers at the sanctuary yeah. now. But nonetheless, when you went uh, to the control, the radiation level would dip down again. Now, what Devro discovered in a uh, stone circle in Abdinsha, for example, that when the, the moon reaches its most northerly, yeah, it's called the, the moon's most uh, northern set. You know, it's, 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 it's a basically it's a time when the moon's really high and it's the longest moonlit night. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit like the opposite for summer solstice. And it's on a long cycle. But at that particular uh, place in Aberdeenshire, there was a huge flare-up of radiation due to the position of the moon, which is very inexplicable. And it's almost like it dipped down and then surged back up. Could our ancient ancestors be neutralizing that energy? I'm sure they were. I don't think it's always about a pretty little moonrise you're watching. Mm -hmm. As I explained earlier, the energy, the sheer force goes through the land. Geological fact, not new age imagination. It goes through the land and it bathes uh, the megaliths. Now, all of that is not coincidental. That is part of a free energy system that I think was once utilized in prehistory. History. And we need to tap into the yeah. consciousness of our ancestors more now than before because we are polluting our planet beyond uh, beyond anything that's ever happened. Uh, our oceans are polluted. You, go, you drive down the road, you see plastic dangling on hawthorn bushes. Yeah. It's uh, it's not a pretty sight. We need to reconnect with Gaia and, and start realizing what we're doing. And hopefully with all the different researchers like Freddie Silver, like John Burke, like many, many others that together and with uh, with, you know, sensitivity through through psychic mediumship that we come together to visualize the past as it truly was so that we can reutilize their technology should be the plan. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully they'll, they'll, they will come, but 
I'm not too optimistic, I'm afraid. I'm a bit. No. So, um, I'd love it to, I'd love it to happen, but I can't see it, uh, you know, not in the, uh, it needs, I mean, I think the most, uh, horrible thing, places to see is the forests when they get cut down, the trees get cut down. You know, it's, the, it's this concrete jungle syndrome now, isn't it? Cities and that, and they're replacing nature and that, and it's, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'm not being pessimistic, uh, I think it's too late. Um, you know, I hope I'm proven wrong. We're all doomed. Well, I'm not saying we're doomed. <laughs> um, there is hope. There'll always be hope. Um, so, not to yeah, but we we do need to act now. Yes, I mean, definitely. It, we we are at a critical mass uh, part in our lives. You know, uh, where we shouldn't be thinking short term no. profit and gain. We should be thinking long term. Now, the consciousness hasn't happened on our planet yet because most people, you know, are concerned with paying their bills and you know working because that's what we're programmed to do. Unfortunately, I think uh, what's going to yeah, debt slaves exactly. Yeah, I think what's what it is is Mother Earth or Terra. I call her Terra. Uh, Mother Earth is giving us time. You know, so, so if, to see if we can swing it round. If not, she'll step in, and that's it. Mm. That's it to me. She'll, and that's that's truth. You know, she'll give us time to see if we can do it. Uh, but if it carries on the pollution and the deforestation, I think uh, she's going to do it. And yeah, well, it'll become a hostile environment for <clears throat> human beings, whichever way you. No, she'll just it. get rid of the. Uh, you know, she'll just raise the vibrations where. We can't live you That sounds like new agey imagination to me. Hey, I'm no hippie. My <laughs> I wish I lived back here, you know. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd be really happy as a hippie, Maria. I, 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 you know, you know. Do you want to tell people about your tours before we get out of here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, if you go on to uh, my website, theaveryexperience.co.uk, uh, I've got my tours that I'm doing next year. I'm going to Malta. That's full. But I'll also be doing like the Stonehenge environs and uh, and Rollwright. And if you ever want to learn, you know, dowsing or some of the esoteric arts with me, you can go to my other website, which is called esotericcollege.com. And all of my courses can be taken to certificate level and are fully affiliated with ABCC to give you a professional qualification. So do check out uh, my websites and uh, and support me on that level if, if you, you'd like to. And, uh, yeah, thanks for that opportunity to say that. No problems. And uh, we'll be back in touch when you've had a route round Oxford. <laughs> yeah, good, good, luck, uh, good luck to you there, Maria. You know, kick, kick some ass, will you? You know, wake some people up, Maria, please. You know. I'll try, Andy. <laughs> so uh, until next time, uh, have a great weekend, and we'll uh, yeah, and have a great soon. Have a, have a great Christmas, Maria. Really have a yeah. great Christmas. And a merry solstice to you guys yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, same to you. Take care, Maria. Thank you. Yeah, Take bye. care. Bye. Well, they've gone. No, just for now. It wasn't the right time for us to meet. But there'll be other nights, other stars for us to watch. They'll be back.